it seems to surprise people sometimes when I tell them that I actually have a decent amount of experience explaining games to people. <laughs> um, so yeah, I actually got a lot of my start you know, doing demos and explaining games to people, doing tournament judging and things like that before I ever got into game design development. So that seems to surprise people. Um, in fact, you might have actually gotten a demo from me at a convention and didn't even know it. But anyway, this question was posed to me is, how is the best way to run a demo for A Song of Ice and Fire? And that's what I'm going to explain today. So this is actually going to probably be a little bit more casual than even some of my other podcasts, which, uh, as I've explained before, are completely uncut and unedited in any way, shape, or form. So this is going to be a fun experience today. So we'll see how it goes. Um, we have a number of things to cover as far as setup and just some general tips and tricks as to how to do this. What I like to do, I'm just going to get into this and explain it, and we will go from there. And if any ideas come up randomly, then I will express them as we go forward. So you're going to need to listen to the whole thing. Uh, the one thing to understand before anything else is that there is no set script to running a demo. That's the number one thing that you need to learn and take away from this, is that a lot of times what I will see people doing is that when they set up the game at the store or convention or wherever they're doing it, showing it to someone they will have a script in their head of how the game is going to play out, how they're going to explain things, and they do it the same way every single time, regardless of who they are playing with or who they are showing the game to. And that, to me, is the first mistake, because you have to treat each encounter individually as its own unique scenario. Because you're going to have people that come up that are seasoned war gamers. You're going to have people that come up that are board gamers. You're going to have people come up that have no idea about any of this, but they're like, oh my god, I love Song of Ice and Fire. You know, I love watching it on HBO every single you know season, everything. You're going to have such a gambit and variety of people, especially with this game, that you need to, first off, adapt your tactics to cater to the crowd that you're dealing with at any given time. If you're talking to a seasoned war gamer, treat them as a seasoned war gamer. You know, they're going to, you can skip a lot of things because they're going to be familiar with concepts. If they're a board gamer, then you need to appeal to those sensibilities. They might not be familiar at all with the concept of war, of war games and rulers might be terrifying to them. So, you know, you have to lax them into things. Um, and if they're completely new to all of this, then, you know, you've got to find some common ground. You know, maybe they're familiar with RTS games on the computer or, you know, something to that. Just ask them, you know, hey, have you experienced anything like this? What is your level of background? They're not going to lie to you. I've never in any time had someone go like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a complete veteran. And them not telling the truth. It's just not happened. So that's the first thing is that remember to treat an individual as an individual. OK, if you go in with this robotic script that you have and try to present it the same way to every single person, they're going to be able to tell that and that's going to turn people off because no one really likes being sold something. They like being excited about something and sharing that excitement. And that should be your main goal. I mean, you are there showing the game to people, obviously, because you care about the game. You want people to be playing that game with you. So, you know, don't treat it like a robot. You're not there to sell them on something. You're there to show them something that stands on its own that is very cool. Like, they are missing out by not playing this game. You know that. I know that. Yeah, it sounds egotistical, but I mean, that's the type of mindset you have to have going into this. You're not there to try to sell them something. You're there to try to get them to share an experience with you about something that you love that you know that they will enjoy or not. You know, they might try it and it might not be for them. And that's perfectly fine, too. People have different tastes. So that's the first and most important thing that I can say going into this, because if you don't get that down, then nothing else here is going to matter. So that is the, the first takeaway that you need to have. So let's talk preparation. What do I need to have to run a successful demo? 
Um, well, you need models. The starter set's a good thing to have, Stark versus Lannister, but really just two armies, okay? Um, and a lot of people are going to want to set up the iconic battles. People want to play as Rob. People want to play as Jamie. You know, they're, they're going to, first thing they're going to go is they're like, oh man, this is my favorite character. Can I play as them? Are they available? And, you know, that's one of the, the things to really pull people in. Um, frankly, if you're looking at just the Stark versus Lannister starter box, I actually believe that Great John versus the Mountain is probably the best as far as demos go, just for general setup. The problem with that, though, is that you've got Great John Umber, which some people might know and they might like, but that's nothing next to Rob. When you put Rob and Jamie on the table, then it's like, oh my god, like I know these guys, and yeah, I want to see this fight. The Mountain also is one that works because he is just an iconic character in the series, and also his model is just freaking huge. The issue of Great John is that he's a minor character that everyone's just like, oh yeah, that's cool. Hey, is that Rob over there with the wolf? So, you know, that's something to take into consideration as well. So if we're looking at just the Stark versus Lannister starter box, how do I want? How do I like running a demo out of just that set? You can apply this to the Night's Watch as well and the Free Folk by just messing around with it. But I don't want to focus too much on that because the same kind of template applies to both of those if that's what you're doing. What I like to do is just take two combat units from each side, usually the Lannister Guards and the Mountains Men or Halberdiers. You know, it's really your choice. But I'd like to run the Guards in there, um, and then the other side, the Stark Sworn Swords, and then the Umber Berserkers, specifically those two. Uh, I don't like putting the Outriders in there because while they are cavalry, um, they're a little bit more complex than you want to have in a demo, even though, you know, they're not really that much more complex because, yeah, they've got a free maneuver, but it's the fact of showing like, yeah, these guys have wounds, these guys are how they function. They break the standard template if you just have a couple of infantry trays fighting each other. The other thing I will do is I'll take the tactics deck and I will cut that in half to 10 cards um, the seven, one copy of each of the seven generic ones and one copy each of the commander cards. The reason I do that is because during the course of the game, they're going to cycle through most of the deck and seeing how that works. And it's just going to show them new and cool stuff to do. The third thing I will do is I'll usually set up a modified map layout for Game of Thrones with three objectives. One in the center, uh, actually just set them up like you would a Clash of Kings, where one in the center and the other is 12 inches apart. You can elect to give them, um... The objective cards if you want. I actually leave those out for the demo because I we want to keep information to a minimal. Now there's two very important points that I want to make in regards to that fact, okay? I under no circumstances am I one of those people that advocates not using the tactics deck or not using NCUs or leaving out any vital component of the game because then you were giving them an experience that is not true to the actual game and I cannot stress how much I dislike seeing that. The reason for that being is because, again, you're almost misleading someone in the fact that you're leaving out vital, crucial parts of the game. And frankly, these are concepts that they're not that complicated for people to grasp once you, know, you actually explain them. If they don't want to utilize them uh, during their game, then they at least are aware that they exist. But leaving them out and then putting them as an afterthought, that really downplays them. And I don't like seeing any of those three, what I consider actually four, vital aspects being left out of the game. And that is the tactics board, your tactics deck, objectives, and um, well, I guess that's three points. And the other would be you know the units and how they operate. Okay. So while I'm okay with like you don't show them cavalry or you know maybe dire wolves and you know, those individual stuff where it's kind of the nitty-gritty rules, leaving out what I consider major core components of the game and strategy, that I do have problems with. 
So that's another tip right there that I would say is, again, include every element of the game. Having said that, here's another very vital and important point to remember when you were giving someone a demo. They are not going to remember any of the specifics that you um, taught them as far as gameplay during that demo. They might remember the basics of it, like, yeah, okay, it's infantry trays, and yeah, the ranks really mattered, and this is how it played, but they're not going to remember any of the specific rules that you tell them. Um, and I'm not saying that because, like, you know, they don't care or, you know, they're dumb or anything like that. It's just that people are demoing and they're going to get an experience from it. That is what they're going to take away from it. They're going to think, man, you know, that was really cool. You know, I thought I was losing. And then these mountains men guys just came up on the flank and they killed this guy. And then the mountain just beat the hell out of Rob and cut his head off. Yeah, And, you know, then I played this really cool card and they're going to remember that type of stuff. They're not going to remember the specific card they played. They're not going to remember, you know, oh, I rolled this on the dice, unless it was something like, oh, I rolled a bunch of sixes and that's what I needed. But they're going to remember the experience they had. Basically, it's going to break down to, did I have a lot of fun playing this demo? Because no one's, sorry, very seldomly is an individual going to go into a demo to go, I want to just see the mechanics of this game. Because usually those type of people, they've already researched it. They're not coming into here going like, oh, what's this? They've already, you know, sectioned through the rule book and you know, uh, skimmed it over with a fine tooth comb here and everything and found exactly the things they like and exactly the things they hate. And they probably already know, have made their decisions on the game. So most of the time when you're giving a demo, it's going to be, you know, kind of an emotional experience. You know, they're going to remember, like, I was playing the mountain and I crushed uh, Rob Stark's head in and that was badass and awesome. <laughs> or, you know, I was playing as Rob and then my dire wolf went and he just mauled through these guys. That's the type of stories and stuff that people are going to take away from demos. And that's the type of thing you should encourage. Um, so that's another thing to remember is that don't get caught up on the little nitty gritty rule stuff, okay? If something happens and, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, technically the way this works is if you ever have to use the word technically, don't bother. I mean, mention it if it's important, but don't get hung up on it. Don't ever sit there and have to explain the intricacies of something of like, you know, okay, well, technically the order of operations is X, Y, Z, and this is how it plays out. Just go like, oh yeah, you're going to charge and kill these guys. And then just guide them through like, okay, you're going to pivot. You're going to roll this die. Did you get high enough? Bam, you made contact. Or, you know, oh, you didn't make contact. You're going to have to make a panic check here because some of your guys are going to run away because they got scared because you didn't make contact with the enemy. You know, that's it. That's all you really need to explain here. You know, and then explain, you know, that's how it works. Tying in a little bit of narrative flair will go a long way toward helping that experience as well. Like I just said, it's like, okay, you know, my badass mountainsmen here, they're going to charge into your guys and cut them down with their great swords. Don't get into full narrative mode here, though. That's the thing. It's a very thin line. Throw in that little bit of flair. You are basically like a circus ringleader on this, okay? You do have to have that little bit of panache and flair when you're giving a demo, but don't go over the top because it can be off-putting. And also... Be aware of your own personality. I mean, if you're not the type of person that can really do that, don't try to do that because it can be a little awkward too. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a convention or anything. And um, if you're dealing with any demo people that, uh, I say this in the nicest way possible, think they're probably more charismatic and funny than they actually are. It can be a really awkward experience. But so just again, kind of play to your strengths there. Um, let's get back to the actual... <laughs> mechanical breakdown of running this so like i said i like to have two combat units per side 
Um, one NCU, usually in the Stark versus Lannister starter box, I'll do Caitlyn versus Cersei because they're good kind of uh, counterplay points to each other. They're not overly complicated. They show how influence works, and they're pretty simple. You know, okay, you equip Caitlyn, she attacks at maximum dice, synergizes really well with the Berserkers that you're going to throw in there. And then Cersei is going to like, oh, she makes guys panic better. So it gives a good feeling to how each of the armies play, and it shows the differentials. One of the things, the big hurdles that you're going to have for showing a lot of people the game is they're going to kind of get into that mentality of this is just a bunch of you know human guys fighting other human guys so doing the best you can to differentiate the factions will go a long way toward you know really showing people the different nuances of the game and cersei and caitlin are both exemplars of that actually it's specifically caitlin with the berserkers i really just like that little combo because people really like having a cool powerhouse unit and that's actually another thing as far as list building goes is give them a basic unit for the army sworn swords guards those are good examples and they give them a really cool just powerful unit like the umber berserkers and the mountains men just something that has a lot of cool really neat like killing power um but don't go overly complicated with it like i wouldn't throw you know knights of casterly rock down onto the battlefield well i mean actually i, I might but I, I probably wouldn't save that for, i would not do that in demo you just want something that's kind of cool but not that more complex than what they're playing so two combat units one in cu and a combat commander okay um you can have an ncu commander if you want i guess but i really like throwing a combat commander down uh because it shows you like this is your leader this is how attachments work by the way and i usually like only having the one uh a combat attachment being your uh commander because it shows you like you can add this guy to a unit and he becomes he makes the unit more powerful one thing i like stressing as well is that because of the setting you know, you don't have combat guys who are going to go and cut down like, you know, 10 guys, you know, in one swath by themselves and everything. You're taking these guys because they're good commanders. They're going to give good command benefits to the units that they uh, are in and the units around them. You know, the mountain is the one example that's like he's actually strong enough where he does contribute to combat. He actually does give you a combat buff versus someone like Rob, who just has tactical maneuverability where, you know, he's making his unit you know, just function better because he is there leading them. Same thing of one like Jamie. You know, he is technically increasing the combat capabilities of the unit via counterattack, but that's, you know, he's not making it so your unit is just cutting through swaths and swaths of guys, as we've seen in, you know, some other previous rank-and-file fantasy battles or some other settings. That is not the setting for A Song of Ice and Fire. And that is something else to do, is that when you are explaining, you know, the game, incorporate the setting. People play this game because they want to play a good war game, but odds are they're also at least familiar with A Song of Ice and Fire or outright fans. So the way you can tie in the setting more with your demo experience, the better, okay? You know, when I'm sitting there and explaining you know, the game to people, I go like, this is the Lannister faction. This is the faction that is based around control and manipulation. They are... They, they think they are the best faction out there, and a lot of their abilities are going to reflect that. They're not that good at killing individuals, but what they do is they can intimidate better than any other faction, and that's done via the representation of panic checks and causing you know, uh, morale issues with the enemy. That's their playstyle. The Starks, meanwhile, we have the bold, loyal Northerners here. They've got better morale than most any other faction. They have effects that you know will keep them fighting until the very end, and when things are at their absolute grimmest, that's when these guys shine, as represented by the fact that a lot of their units get stronger as they take damage. And then you tie into like the Sworn Swords, like, look, they gain special abilities when they're at their last rank. The Berserkers here actually get stronger as they take damage. You know, tying things in like this. 
you know, you've got very influential characters, you know, ask them, who is your favorite character? And, you know, if they go, oh man, Tyrion's my favorite, then, you know, you go, okay, cool. There's actually a couple versions of Tyrion in the game because there can be different versions of characters depending on how they are in the series. We've got a non-combat version of Tyrion that actually increases your tactics because he's so smart. We have the combat version of him with his little great axe here that he's a battlefield commander. You know, just give him those little snippets, you know, and just that little bit to get them excited, you know, get them, you know, you've got to throw out that hook. And once they're in, it's easy to, you know, to get them excited, okay? Because it's something that they already care about. That's easy. If you have someone coming up for a demo that goes like, I have no idea about the setting in the slightest, and I don't really like war games. Show me this game. That's going to be a little weird. But um, do your best. That's all I can really say. But if they don't care about the setting in the slightest, they only care about war games, that's what you focus on. And that's just ask them, you know, hey, what interests you here? The more you learn about a person, the more you can cater whatever experience you're uh, you're trying to give them to them personally, the better their takeaway is going to be, the more interesting interested they're going to be in the game and the end. Okay, so it's a matter of just like, you know, kind of read people. Is this someone who is a big Song of Ice and Fire fan? Is this a big Wargaming fan? You know, what are they into? Um, so that's basically talking about the list creation, what I would do. And I really wouldn't worry about points. You know, if you're a point or two off here, there, whatever. Okay. You know, that's, it's not important. You're not playing to win. Also, by the way, if you're a demo person, please don't play to win. Okay. Uh, you don't want to just let them win. You know, you, you don't really care you know, if it's who wins in the end, as long as it's a fun experience, you know? Yeah. If you want to make a tactical mistake here or there or not make a crushing power play, that's probably for the best, but sometimes it's really cool to show them like, you know, Oh, so let me show you this really cool combo I'm about to do here. That's just going to wreck you, you know, in moderation. It's much better if they do something like that to you and you're like, man, see how cool that was. But having those events happen in the game one way or another are things that people are going to take away because, you know, they're going to be like, man, you know, I really thought I was going to win there. And all of a sudden, you know, Caitlyn influenced those berserkers and you charged into my flank and that unit just vanished. You know, that might have been a really bad thing to happen to them, but it was still really cool to see. And, you know, that's the thing to remember. As long as it was something cool, you know, it's really hard to feel bad for losing a demo one way or another. It's, it's again, goes back to the experience that you're crafting. The other important thing is the objectives. Those are super important to use, okay? I, I really cannot stress that enough. I see a lot of people that run demos that are just, we're not going to play objectives. We're just going to run forward and kill each other. Don't do that, okay? You are giving the game a disservice when you do that because... Objectives are so important to play. Okay, like I, I unfortunately I just I don't get those people that are like, we're just gonna play a game that's just running forward and killing each other. I mean, I get it. I don't, I don't like it. But sometimes you just want to have like you know a dumb I'm gonna go and just kill stuff. But the thing is, you kind of got Clash of Kings and Feast for Crows for that. So just play one of those. At least with some you know, some thinking about it. Objectives are an important part of gameplay, and that's why including them is important. I don't really care too much about like putting down the objective cards for that mode. Just have three objectives out there. Say that, you know, okay, if you control it, you get a victory point in the round, you get a victory point for destroying units. Play the first one to three or four victory points, okay? You don't have to play until everything's wiped out. You just really want to show them, give them a taste of the game. That's the important thing. I actually would probably recommend not playing with the objective cards just because it's adding that little extra step of complication um, that they're not going to remember, okay? They're not going to remember, like, oh, man, that objective card's ability was really cool. 
they're probably not going to remember that. They're just going to remember like, yeah, I, I was losing, but I my guys held out and I claimed that objective there and I held it for three rounds and I won. Yeah. That's what they're going to remember. Okay. They're not going to remember like, oh yeah, I held this one power here and it was, you know, turned off his enemy NCU and that was really badass. No, they're, they're not going to remember that. Okay. And it's again, it's one less thing to remember. Now, as far as the tactics board go, again, one NCU each just to show them how it works. And make sure they don't forget about it because the non-combat um, aspect of the game is one of the unique selling points of the system and one of the things that sets it apart from most any other system out there. And it should be played up a, a lot. Uh, and most players that are running demos, they're probably going to forget about activating their non-combat guys for the first... Uh, two, maybe even three rounds of that demo. So you kind of need to take some initiative there and, you know, just go like, okay, my first activation is going to be, I'm going to activate my non-combat character and I'm going to take this zone over here. Um, also, don't be afraid to guide them a bit when they're playing. You know, like, again, as I just said, their instinct is probably going to be, they're going to forget about their non-combat activations and end up activating them last in every round. At the start of a round, feel free to go, like, if, they, if they're moving to, like, activate one of their combat units, feel free to go, like, okay, you can do that. But, remember, you have these non-combat guys over here that can grant some substantial buffs if you use them early in the round. Those problem which is going to be the combat zone. Um, I'm not saying to say that, but that's usually the one that's going to come up. You know, like, you could just make an attack action for that unit, but instead, Cersei could claim the combat zone over here, which gives them a free attack, which means that they haven't activated yet, because it's a free action. It doesn't count as their activation for the round. So that means later, they can attack again. And, you know, it's like, oh, man, that's really cool. That's really badass. You know, you can sit there and go, like, oh, well, you know, you could just move these guys here, or you could claim the maneuver zone over here, which is allow them to get a free maneuver, and then later, they could even march, and they're going to get like triple the distance just off of that one tactical play. And you're going to block it, so I can't even get it. And because you're playing Starks, if you look, some of your tactics cards actually give you a bonus for controlling that zone. And your cards are going to get better because of it. See how cool that is? You know, so feel free to guide them a little bit when you're doing that. Um, and that brings me to the point from earlier. Uh play with tactics cards okay i know that a lot of people's instinct is like i want to trim down as much as i can to cut the fat and, you know make it a really streamlined experience again that's fine in moderation but don't i would never ever cut out a vital component of the game because what's going to happen is someone is going to get the wrong impression of yeah that game was really cool but it was just kind of lacking this like tactical element that i really you know, it just didn't, it just seemed like I was pushing stuff around and there wasn't, you know, really all that excitement. And that comes if you remove any aspect of things. If you remove the objectives, that happens. If you remove the tactics cards, that happens. If you remove the tactics board and the NCUs, which, if, if listen, uh, that's like cardinal sin to me. If, if, if that's the one thing you're cutting out, it's like, oh, we don't use NCUs and tactics board when we're showing this game to people. Like, uh, show them something else. Like, please, anything else. Just reevaluate how you're giving demos because... Uh, you are, sorry, don't, you're making like the worst mistake I can possibly like, I, I suggest. I know I'm kind of like tripping over that, but that is just such a balls out insane thing to leave out to me that that's, that's just how I feel about that. So let's recap here a bit. Um, cater the experience to the individual, 
don't get bogged down in explaining micro rules and things like that because people are not going to remember them. They're just going to remember the experience they had. So therefore, crafting the experience is the number one priority when you're giving a demo. Um, three, don't overcomplicate things. <laughs> I know it's like, you know, two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's a little gray area between those two things. That's that's where you guys operate. Um, and four, so let's talk about time constraints. A lot of people go like a good demo should be 15 minutes or less. Um, when we're doing conventions and things like that, that's usually kind of the window we try to hit because people are busy, people want to go do stuff. Um, 15 minutes or less is usually what we're trying to do in a demo. But that's for conventions where we're cycling through a huge number of people. If you're at a local store or giving a get demo or a game day, that is entirely up to you how long you want to take in a given demo. Obviously, I would try not to have a demo run too long because then it's going to get bogged down. People are going to get a little fatigued and they're going to go like, man, even though I'm having fun, this is taking forever. And that's not a good impression either. So usually what you want to do is kind of keep track of the time. If it looks like they're engaged and the game is going to end sooner, they're having fun, just let them go at it. Okay. There have been some times where we've been showing the games to like demos and we'll have like two friends come up and we'll get them to play each other. What you'll do is you'll run the demo for however much time or you'll get to a point where you know, you feel like they've gotten a good grasp of things, like maybe two or three rounds into the game. Like, OK, a couple of units have been killed. You know, you've shown them how the tactics board works. You've shown them tactics cards in the round and they're like, OK, guys, that's how the game works. And then they've got the choice there of, OK, well, we've seen it. That's what we wanted to know. Or they want to continue. I've had it go both ways where people go, like, OK, I've got everything I need to know. Thanks. I would really appreciate it. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they disliked or anything. That just means they wanted to get the demo. They wanted to get the information. They got the information and they're done. And then other times you'll have them go like, oh, no, no, we're playing this out. I'm going to I'm going to kill his ass. I'm trying to avoid saying some of the harsher swears, by the way. So, you know, that's that's why I might stutter sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, especially if you have like two people that know each other that are fighting. Those guys are going to grudge match it. OK, um, and if you've got definitely a husband or wife that are playing each other, those are some of the most like serious cutthroat matches I have ever seen in my life. It's just that where, you know, they're going to go, I'm going to murder you. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to murder you back, jackass. Yeah, those are some fun ones to watch. But so I guess the main takeaway that I can give you, regardless of anything else, there is no script. OK, have a general idea about what you want to show people, how you're going to present the information. But don't think that there is some almighty script or narrative that you can follow that's going to work time after time after time because that's just setting yourself up for failure and it's going to set up people to have a really kind of negative experience because people can tell when they're being sold something they can tell when they're following a script or a pattern and no one really likes that because it feels like you're just kind of mechanically running through the process here and if you're going to be that dispassionate about what you're showing why should they care but if you seem like you're passionate and you know, you're genuinely excited to talk about everything you're talking about, which you should be, then people can tell that as well. And that's going to get them excited. Like, man, look how excited this guy is about the game that he is showing. How badass must it be to actually play this game? And that's another thing to get into. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up by talking a little bit about, I guess, after the fact, some uh, points to talk to people. If they've got general questions about mechanics after the game and everything, feel free to answer those. You know, if they've got like, oh man, you know, hey, uh, are these guys out? How does this work? Blah, blah, blah. You know, feel free to have those conversations. And when they inevitably ask you, are there dragons? Then tell them if it's in the books, it can be in the game. And then answer that question a billion more times. And then a billion more times. 
and then a billion more times and just hope that eventually you know you just release the damn dragon so that people will just stop asking that question and then they'll just move on to asking hey when's moon boy coming out or you know hey uh when are we going to get you know a second version of uh, i don't i don't know just some something else it's always going to be something else sorry whoop 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 slipped into a dark place there um after game questions so one of the things i talked about is like okay price points and starter boxes you know explain the starter box here you're gonna get a, a stark versus lancer you're gonna get 103 miniatures in there two full playable armies each of the starter boxes for the factions to, to play a small game size it is 30 points each of the starters is going to give you enough to field a 30 point army with some options and varieties out there you can get two different commanders in every single starter box to drastically change the play styles and that's something else i like pointing out to people is that just by making that one change by changing a commander you can drastically change how an army functions and plays an army led by jamie lannister is going to play the incredibly opposite and different than one led by the mountain and that is another good point to bring up to people is that you have these four same units in the starter box but just by making that one change, you're getting two different play styles, and that's just in the box. I honestly feel that, you know, you can tell people, you can buy a starter box, and if you decide that you never want to make another Song of Ice and Fire purchase again, even though that's insanity, then you can, and you're going to get variety right in that box. And frankly, you know, how often can you say that, you know, in, uh, in miniature games, that you're going to get that much replayability and that much customization out of your one purchase there? And, you know, that's, it's just a strong point. You can take the starter box plus another unit box, and then boom, you have a 40-point tournament-ready army that you can play. No assembly required. That's another big thing for people there as well. And, you know, you can just go up and just immediately, bam, you're in a tournament. You play against an army, and you think, man, those guys are really cool. You can be playing that exact same army as fast as it takes you to buy that box off the shelf and put it on the table and open it up. No assembly. You can go like, wow, that's really cool. You know what? I lost this game. I'm going to go pick up a unit of Cave Dweller Savages over here and add them into my army right now, and we're going to play again. And boom, done. The second I open that box to get those guys on a tray, I have ready to go. That's another cool aspect there to, you know, really uh, push on people as well, um, depending on the person, you know. And again, if they're a painter, then you can talk about, you know, show them some of the miniatures there. Go like, yeah, here's the miniatures. They come pre-assembled. Uh, all the bodies are PVC plastic. The weapons are ABS hard plastic. So, you know, all the halberds are going to be straight, all the sword sheets and everything. Anything that's a little fiddly bit that would usually be bendy in a lot of other games are made out of hard plastic here. So they're going to be straight. Okay. That's another thing as far as, you know, the, the modelers and everything go out there. Um, the boxes, you know, hey, everything slots right back into its individual thing here. So if you're the type that doesn't want to buy an army transport and just wants to shelve everything in their boxes, you have an individual tray here and everything. Plus, the artwork is gorgeous here and everything. You know, and that's something they were exceedingly proud of with the game is the art design and aesthetics and everything. And another thing that, you know, is really cool to point out is that, you know, George Martin and them, they, they approve every single thing that comes through the game. You know, the sculpts, the art assets, these are all done to match his vision of how these things should look based on the book series. So, you know, when you see Arya, when you see, you know, Sirio Forel, Jaquin Hagar, you know, all these iconic characters, this is how they were envisioned to look and have been given the okay, you know, by George Martin and them to go like, yes, this is, this is how they should look. And trust me, I know from personal experience here, given our approvals process, 
you know, how many times we've had to modify some things going back and forth to make sure it is just right. And I wouldn't have it any other way because that's that's a great thing about this IP and working with it and everything is, yeah, it's frustrating, you know, where we have to modify Arya Stark's nose five times because we have to get it right because she has the nickname Horseface and it looks exactly like this is supposed to. But, you know, it's it's better to have that happen than just working with someone who doesn't really care. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, just, just just do it, make it work. You know, everyone, you know, if you care about a product and, you know, obviously George Martin and them, he super cares about, you know, the world, the setting and everything about it, you know, that's that's great to work with. And that extends all the way down to running demos, okay? If you're passionate about the game, if you're passionate about the product that you're showing to people, people can tell that and you can transfer that energy onto them. It's going to make them excited and make them want to play. And then you're going to have a bigger player base and they're going to get more people to play. That's, you know, the self-perpetuating thing about war games in general is that the more people that play it, enjoy it, the more people will then play it and enjoy it. So that's really, you know, the, the, the secret and everything is just be passionate about what you're doing. Don't be a robot when you're out there explaining things. So hopefully you guys found this interesting. Hopefully you guys found it helpful. Um, let me guys know if you have any other questions and if you've run any successful demos or have any other tips and tricks for people, feel free to post them below. So until next time, we'll talk about something completely different. Take care.